Exodus chapter number 2. We'll start out by looking at one verse. We're going to be looking at the story of Moses and his mother. We're going to look at the faith of a mother. Exodus chapter number 1, verse number 8 is the verse we're going to look at. And the Bible says, Now there arose a king, a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. Let's pray. Amen. It says, Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. I just want to look at the circumstances that we're looking at because they're there comes a time when people forget the blessings. I said on Tuesday night, you know, we're looking at how America was founded and we see how God worked in the country and we see the blessings that we're, we're learning about, some of the blessings that happened, some of the circumstances that made things work. But in this particular passage, we're looking at the book of Exodus and the book of Exodus is a story about, you know, it's history, about the Israelites being in bondage in Egypt and being delivered out of that bondage. And in the past, because the Israelites, because of the Israelites, the Egyptians were saved from famine. You know the story of Joseph? He was Pharaoh's right-hand man, and God had given Pharaoh a repeating dream and used Joseph to interpret it. It was seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, and Pharaoh made Joseph his right-hand man. And because of his administration, they, they saved back the food during the seven years of plenty, and then they were able to distribute it during the seven years of famine. And because they stored away that grain and they were able to redistribute it, this made the people and nations who came to Egypt beholden to them and helped Egypt to grow in power, but it was soon forgotten. Another king came who knew not Joseph. And Joseph's family, Jacob, and his 12 sons had moved to Egypt, and the Egyptians began to see them as a threat because of the way God blessed them. In Exodus 1, 7, it says, And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. God acts, and his people, sees, his people see blessings. But there will always be a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. That Bible study I talked about. So there arose a new king who knew not Joseph. And now they're in a type of bondage instead of blessing. In Exodus 1.9 it says, And he said unto his people, this is Pharaoh talking, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter and with hard bondage in mortar and in brick, and in all manner of service in the field, all their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. So the Israelites were enslaved. They had no say in any aspect of their lives. They had no say in public policy. They didn't get to vote on what the Egyptians were going to do. They didn't have any say in what their occupation was going to do. They didn't get to choose where they were going to work. They worked where they were told to work. They put in the hours they were told to put in. 
And they had no say in where they would live, no say in whether they would get to live or die. And it was a culture of death. In Exodus 1.15, the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was Shipra, and of the other Pua. And he said, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, you shall kill him, but if it be a daughter, then shall he live. So Pharaoh had a plan. He said, we're going to stop him from multiplying. He said, if it be a son, kill him. If it be a daughter, let her live. But then we see in verse number 17, it says, But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt had commanded, but saved the men children alive. Now God had made a promise to Abraham. I just wanted to point out the environment that they're living in because the environment we live in today, if you watch the news too much, you could get down and depressed about it. You can see the conflict that takes place. You can see people taking one side and taking the other, but there's no room in the middle. And you see that taking place, and you say, how do I raise a child in today's environment? I think they were asking the same thing during World War II, during World War I, during the 60s, during any point in time, and especially here in Egypt. How do I raise a child in this world? In Genesis 15, 13, God had made a promise to Abraham. He said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And Exodus is a story of God fulfilling that promise through Moses. Moses was the one God worked through to deliver the people out of bondage, and the one he worked through... To give his commandments. But before any of that, before Moses came back to Egypt, before Moses stood before Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. Before Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he was there before God and God gave him the law and he brought it down to the Israelites. Before Moses was there to guide them through the wilderness. Before Moses was there to perform the miracle of bringing forth water from the rock. He was a helpless child who was saved by the actions of women who were faithful to God rather than men. And by the faith and actions of his mother's love and a foundation that carried him through the rest of his life. Each and every person, and today I'm talking particularly to mothers, have the ability to make a difference in a world full of events that they can't control. You look out at the world and you say, man, I... There's nothing I can do about all that. But there is something that you can do as a mother. And there, is thing, there are things that you have done as a mother. You matter. We saw a 100-year-old woman doing what God had before, doing what she knew to do, and being a blessing to hundreds of children around the world. And we see mothers that follow God that are a blessing to their children. The old saying goes, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And our passage today is what we're going to see. So how do you make it in today's world? Or how do you raise a child in today's world? I want to say that the first thing is to have some fear. It says in verse number 17 of chapter 1, it says, Pharaoh told the midwives, 
And he said, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew woman, see him upon the stools, if it be a son. And he, he gave his instructions to him. But it says, uh, and the Bible tells us that they feared God and wouldn't do what he said. And then they were blessed for it. Look at Exodus 120. It said, therefore, God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them houses. God took care of them and blessed them. You know, those things are such a small passage. They're just a verse, just a line in the Bible. But if you were to put yourself in their place and there's Pharaoh, the king of all Egypt, who has power over their life and their death, and he's telling them what to do. But they fear God rather than Pharaoh. Webster's 18.28 says, In good men the fear of God is a holy awe or reverence of God and his laws which springs from a just view and real love of the divine character, leading the subjects of it to hate and shun everything that can offend such a holy being and inclining them to aim for perfect obedience. Now that's a lot of words, but it's understanding who God is. You know, there's, there's people that say, well, me and God, we have a deal. We, me and the man upstairs, we have an understanding. And reverence and fear of God is, is seeing the God of all creation, seeing the God who, who created all of this. I mean, when you start to look closer and closer and you see DNA and you see patterns and things and you see how God formed this world. It's a fear. It's a reverence of God. It's an understanding of what he desires. They chose to fear God rather than obey man. Over in Acts chapter 5, when the apostles go out and they, they begin witnessing, uh, Peter heals a man that's lame at the gate, and he's pulled before the council, and they're preaching in the name of Jesus, and they're telling him in verse 528, saying, did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? That's the name of Jesus. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and tend to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter said in verse 29, the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. It's a fear and a reverence. Many mothers, because of their own love for their children, have sacrificed themselves for the lives of their children. There was a mother in North Carolina that rescued her four-year-old son from the family pit bull. He had fallen down the stairs, and the pit bull had attacked her son. When her husband got home, he found her shut up in the bathroom with the pit bull. She said, I have no arms, and I'm dying. But she had locked herself in the bathroom rather than to let the dog get to her son. In 2021, a Louisiana man hired two hitmen to kill his niece to stop her from testifying in a rape trial, police said. Instead, the girl's mother was shot dead after she pretended to be her daughter. When the hitman came and asked who the little girl was, the mother said, that was me. And she got killed for it. Because of the reverence that these midwives had for God, their fear of God, they were willing to put themselves at risk for children that weren't their own. They say, character is what you're doing when no one's looking. And I'll add to that that character building is a lesson that teaches you why character matters. Many people, they're a law unto themselves. They have no fear of God. They say, I'm the final judge. I'm the final arbiter of what I do. We see the results of their selfish actions. We see the results of, of them making their own judgment about their behavior. 
when you fear God, you don't look to yourself. And there's many people who don't fear God. They look only to do what is right for themselves. To have a reverence of God, you have to have faith in God. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to believe God because you have to believe in God. A lot of people struggle with having faith in God. To say that statement, to to, to say that uh, you got to have reverence and fear of God. A lot of people don't believe in God. In order to please God, you got to have faith in him, the Bible says. But without faith, it is impossible. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So there's a fear of God and then there's a faith in God. In Exodus chapter number two, we see Moses' parents acting. We see Moses getting to live because of the fear of God, the midwives not doing what Pharaoh wanted. And then we see the faith of his parents. Chapter number two, it says, There went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the daughter conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes. She made a little boat and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And then she laid it in the flags by the river's bank. She, she acted on her faith. She put Moses out there in a little boat. And verse number four says, and his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. When you look over in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Bible, the the book uh, uh, chapter 11 in Hebrews is called the Hall of Faith. When you go down there, it goes through those Old Testament stories and talks about the faith of Abraham. It talks about the faith of Isaac. It talks about being a stranger in a strange land. But it, it talks about their faith all through that. And then when you get to verse 23, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents, because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Amram and Jochebed, that was his parents' name. They hid him because of their faith, and his mother's faith was rewarded for it. Look at verse number five. It said, And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. I feel like I'm flying through this. But just take a minute to think about that mother's tears. They're killing kids left and right. Those midwives, they're facing Pharaoh. Think about the pressure that society can put on people. It's everywhere around you, whether you watch TV, whether you hang out with friends, whether you send your kids off to school, whether you do anything in this world. There's pressure to conform to the mold that the world wants to put on you. And here the pressure was very real on Moses' parents. They were, they were eliminating the male children. And when Pharaoh couldn't get them to do it, he talked to the Egyptians and told them to kill the children. He was trying to catch them in the womb, but when he couldn't do that, he was telling them to kill them outright, kill the male church children. I'll tell you what God thought about that. You know, the final plague on Egypt was the taking of the firstborn children, the firstborn son of Pharaoh. But the pressure is on Moses' parents. What to do with him? They hid him 
for three months, a crying child, and they tucked him away. And their faith was in the Lord to protect him and to watch over him. What gives someone that kind of faith? Because you can say, I have faith in God, and people will sit there, you know. I think of it sometimes it's like the little engine that could, you know. He's trying to get up the hill. I think I can. I think I can. We think that faith is, if I just hang on to it hard enough, my faith, you know, my faith is this. Uh, this is my faith. But it's so abstract. And it's like you need something to hold on to. I need to understand what faith is. I need to understand how to have faith in God. And the Bible talks about that, how to have faith in God. But what gave Moses' mother and his father the faith to hang on with all of that pressure going on, hiding Moses, feeding Moses, and taking care of him in those first three months? And then the faith to put him in a basket, not knowing what was going to happen to him, but to put him in a basket and to put him out there because any of the Egyptians were looking for male children. It was it'd be like laying him out there for the sacrifice. But she was trusting God for it. The first thing to understand about faith is that it comes by hearing the word of God. Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. <clears throat> she didn't have a Bible. She didn't have all of the scripture like we have today, but what she had was the word passed down from Abraham to Isaac, and then from Isaac down to Jacob, and from Jacob down to Joseph, and then passed down among the 12 tribes, among the 12 sons of Jacob. They passed it down to their children year after year. Genesis 15, 13, God promised Abram, he said, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. The bondage had been predicted. He didn't name Egypt. But he said they're going to be in a strange land and they're going to be afflicted for 400 years. And as painful as that was, they were protected there. They were able to grow. They were able to multiply. God blessed them while they were there. But she knew there would be an end to it. For there to be an end to it, there had to be heirs. There had to be somebody that God could use. She, protected, she trusted God at his word. D.L. Moody was one of the greatest evangelists who ever lived. He was Billy Graham in his day. Um, in his biography, he said, I used to pray thousands of times, thousands of times. Oh, God, increase my faith. Oh, God, increase my faith. Oh, God, give me faith. Give me faith. Give me faith. Give me faith. But he said, my faith was still so weak. I didn't seem to have the faith that I thought I needed that I ought to have. And then he said, one day I was reading the Bible and I saw Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Then God revealed to me that if I wanted faith, I'd better get into this book. He said, I began to study the Bible. I began to read the Bible. I began to memorize the Bible. I began to devour the Bible. I began to live in the Bible, to saturate my soul in the Bible. And he said, faith just exploded in my heart. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's not an abstract thing. Faith comes from understanding God's promises, from understanding God's word. When you stand back away from the Bible, you can think anything that you want about it. You can make up anything that you want, and then you can blame God for not fulfilling what you made up. 
You can stand back and say, God should be, I don't believe a loving God would do this. If you got in your Bible, you would see what a loving God would do. You would see that he's a loving and just God. You would see that along with the love of God, there is the wrath of God. You would understand why there's a wrath of God. You look into a courtroom case, you you look at just why that little girl was about to be assassinated for what happened to her, and you say, I just don't think, I think a loving God will have a, a punishment. I think there will be a punishment because God's word says that there will be. But God also offers forgiveness if you've made mistakes. God also offers his son. He brought his, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to take your penalty for sins. The gift isn't yours unless you accept it. So it's a faith based on the word of God. When you read in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, y'all know it, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. When you begin to read God's word, you may pray for faith. You may talk about faith. And this is D.L. Moody, I think. You may pray for faith, you may talk about faith, you may clench your fist and want faith, but you will never have faith until you get into the Word of God. The one book that God has ordained to give you faith, faith cometh by hearing the Word of God. The root of faith is to hear the Word of God. You'll never be a mom or dad that you ought to be until you study the one book that God has given that is both at the same time a manual on child rearing and a source of faith that you need to do what God tells you to do in this book. And that was Adrian Rogers quoting him. But faith not only comes by hearing the word of God, because there's a lot of Bible scholars out there. You go to the jail, and I've told you, you know, and sit in there, and you've got ten guys around you, and you go in there, and there's ten guys around you. And there'll be one of them that's a, man, he's a Bible scholar. He's, he's got it all figured out. But he's still in the jail. And I'm not making fun because it's sometimes you got to get to the bottom of the barrel to look up. Sometimes you got to realize that everything you're doing is not working. And you got to look up. Oh, you got no place but to look up. And a lot of them are there and they're saying, man, I remember what my mama taught me. I remember what I learned. And they begin to learn the Bible for themselves. But there's some that are just Bible scholars and they can tell you their own doctrine and everything like that. And they got everything figured out and sometimes they kind of interrupt. But they're still there. They're still committing crimes. So you not only got to be a hearer of the word of God, because that'll that'll wash over you. You can hear the sermon, walk out and it'll wash off of you. When you get out in the world, it'll... It'll ease off of you if there's any pressure on you at all right now. It'll, it'll let up when you get outside. So it's not just being having faith by hearing the word of God, but it's acting on the word of God. Faith is belief with legs on it. I give an illustration that it is getting more and more irrelevant, I guess, nowadays. But, you know, I was old enough to, to have a car that didn't have power steering because <laughs> you could get it cheap you know I had a I had a 90 Cavalier you know I, I can't go back and talk about the old Plymouth or something like that but I had, I knew when it lost power steering to Plymouth 
but I had a 90 Cavalier and that thing didn't have power steering. It didn't have air conditioning because I bought it in California. Can you imagine a car in Texas without air conditioning? And that car, man, when you're sitting still and you got that wheel there and it's, you know, it was a new car at the time, brand new. It was so new I had to get my friend to drive it off the lot because I didn't know how to drive a stick shift. And then he taught me that afternoon. But one thing about that car with no power steering, when you're sitting still, you could stand on that wheel. And I think you could just twist that thing in half like a stuck bolt. You know, the, the old rusted bolt, you turn it, turn it, and you think, okay, I finally got it loose. You get it out, and there's nothing but a little stub on there because the rest of it's stuck in there. You could turn on that wheel, and you just couldn't get it to turn. But once you got that thing rolling, you didn't care nothing about power steering. It was doing just fine. And I think that's kind of the way with some of us. We sit there and we, we have faith in God. God's going to take care of it. God's going to do it. God's going to do it. And he's going to do what he will. And it's, it's just all in his hands. And just sit there on the couch. And you know what? Well, he didn't do anything. But you know, if you get to going, and this is where faith really takes legs. It's one thing to sit here and not make any decision at all and say, well, I didn't make the wrong one. It's another thing to step out and say, Lord, you tell me in your word you're going to do this, and I'm going to step out and I'm going to trust you for that. And you begin to move, and God begins to guide you. I think that might have been the case for this mother. I think that might have been the case for Moses' mother. She prayed, and she prayed, Lord, what do I do with this? Will you take care of him, Lord? Lord, I'm just going to weave this basket. That's all I know to do next. I don't, I don't know how we're going to get through this as they go through those three months. And it was by faith. God, you, you said in your word that you're going to deliver your people. Lord, I'd like my son to be here for that. I'd like my son to be here to witness you keeping your promise that you gave to Abraham. And she weaves that basket. And she thinks she sees that river one day. And she said, maybe if I could just... Put him out there. Maybe she saw where the, the princess would come out, Pharaoh's daughter, where she would come out to the shoreline. Maybe he saw where she would come out each time. And she said, I don't know. Lord, maybe if I could just get him nearer, could you just move on her heart, Lord? And she was having to let her son go, but she was having to turn him over to him. That's faith. Turning your child over to the Lord. Many mothers have had to make that choice. And as she puts that slime and that pitch on there and she puts that tar on the bottom, you know, those reeds. You remember the reed boats the Egyptians make, those big old boats, and they put the tar on the bottom to keep the water from getting in. And I think she was real careful to seal it all up because she wanted her son to, she didn't want it to sink. She was about to put her child into this little ark, this little boat, and she meant, oh, there's a little spot there. And she makes sure she gets a tar on there and makes it good. Makes sure it dries real well. And she puts her son in there. And she takes him out by the river where she knows she's going to be. She's just acting on faith. She said, Lord, take care of him. And he's quiet the whole time. How is he quiet? How is a child quiet the whole time? And she sets him out there. And she's got him protected. She's got the sun off of him. And she puts him out there. 
Verse 5, And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. And right there, she had a choice. Right there, God had handed her to, handed Moses over, his mother had handed Moses over to Pharaoh's daughter. The one right there next to Pharaoh's throne. Was she going to carry out what Pharaoh wanted? Was she going to kill her son? That's faith. Trusting God to take care of him. But God moved on Pharaoh's daughter. He moved on her heart. And she heard that little crying come from the basket. And she opened it up and she had compassion. She saw he was circumcised. This is one of the Hebrew children. And she adopts him as her own and takes her own. And God bless a woman that will take on a child that's not her own and raise him as if he was or if she was. So they didn't just sit around and wait and say, oh, well, whatever happens, I want to tell you something. You're going to raise children by faith. You better pray as though it depended on God, and then you better work as though it all depended on you. God can use you if you're willing to let him. James told us over in James chapter 2, verses 18 to 20, he said, When wilt thou learn, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? And in verse 20, he says, You show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. So it's to act on God's word. It's not just a static faith. Having faith is hearing the word of God. It's acting on God's word. And it's also in seeing the rewards of your faith. We saw where the midwives saw the reward of their faith, their fear, their trusting God for their decision, even though they could have been facing death for not doing it. But God blessed them and God took care of them. And then verse 7, verse 6, when she had opened it, she saw the child and behold, the babe wept and she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go? to call thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. She got to hold on to her own child even longer. She got to nurse him. She got to teach him. I think she passed on to him about what Abraham, about Isaac, about Jacob. We know that Moses wrote most of the first five books of the Bible In verse 9, And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses. And she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Let me tell you something else, mothers. It's not enough to just have faith. It's not enough to just act on it. But you have to pass it on, because if you don't pass it on, there's going to be a new king who knows not Joseph. 
It's, it's not just what you have in your own life. It's just not the faith that you have, but it's what you pass on to your children. Proverbs 22.6 says to train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, there isn't a guarantee that your children won't make mistakes. Because you do the best that you can, and when they get older, they make their own decisions. They go their own way. But you teach them about the Lord, or somebody's going to teach them about something else. There isn't a guarantee that their lives will be perfect, but there is an understanding that they'll come back. You think of the story of the prodigal son. His father had showed him love, but he said, give me my... Give me my inheritance, and he went off and he wasted it. But when he reached a certain point, he remembered his dad. He remembered how his servants were treated. He said, my servants were better off than me. He was in the pig pen. He was eating the husk that he was having to feed the the pigs. And he looks up. It said, when he came to the end of himself. There's one last thing I want to share with you. Because there is no guarantee that your children will do right. There's no promise of that. And I just want to share something with you and then we'll finish up. And uh, back in 2003, Didi's aunt, we call her Aunt Frankie, but her son, he was her adopted son. He was her son's son. I'm sorry, he was her brother's son. And uh, she ended up adopting him because her brother wasn't able, wasn't willing, wasn't taking care of him. But he kind of went the same way his dad did. And he's about, he's, he ended up getting AIDS. And he had come to the end of himself. He was back home with his mom. She had adopted him, he called her mom. And uh, she took care of him until the day that he died. And she went in there. He wanted so bad to give his testimony. And each day, he would get tired quick. But each day, she went in there. And when he was able, she would write down what he told her. And over the course of the time, he'd written this. And then when he passed away, she'd asked me to speak at his funeral. And she had shown me this, and I said, well, can I just read this? Because he said it all for himself. And he preached his own funeral. I just want to share this with you. Because we're talking about training up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. There may be a lot of things that happen in between. But it matters that you share your faith. It matters that you build that foundation for your children. And that's the last point, is building the foundation. My name is Henry, and I have AIDS, full-blown AIDS. I'm here today. The reason I'm still here today is because I have a story to tell, to tell the drug addicts and all sinners, because I've been all that and all that. And he listed other things. He said, my story is about a light. I searched my whole life for the light. I looked everywhere, drugs, alcohol, parties, gay people. Streets of Savannah, streets of Jessup, Georgia, bars, all those places my mama told me not to go. If your mama knows Jesus, always listen to her. She's your connection to the light by the word. The light I searched for all my life was Jesus. He's the only light, but I tried to find it in crack houses, bars, drug dealing. 
I looked and looked. I knew I needed that light to fill my heart. There was a big hole there. It ached, but nothing I did or tried, not heroin, not crack, not ecstasy, not any of the other numerous drugs I tried. The ache was still there. I couldn't find the light. I wanted the ache to stop. I wanted peace in my life. I hadn't had peace since I left home at 14. I quit going to church. I quit singing church music. I quit all the things that would have kept me headed to the light. I could see the light, but I kept taking the wrong road, and it wasn't, wasn't there where I was going. Still, I could always see it. I just would take my eyes off for a second, and I'd be going the wrong road. I'd come home to rehab. That's what we called Mama's house. I could feel the light. I knew it was there, but I would never stay long enough to let it change my heart. By now, I thought I liked the stuff. I actually needed the stuff. My body was aching for the stuff while I was aching for the light. Does that make sense, Mama? While I was there, I would always go to church with Mama. That was a rule. At church, I could feel the light. It would feel so good. I would be so happy, but then my flesh would start wanting the stuff I shouldn't have. I would take off again. I would steal from anybody, lie to anybody, trick anybody, and I mean anybody. It didn't matter if it was people that loved me or strangers. I just did whatever, I mean whatever, so I could get more stuff. I got HIV. I wouldn't listen to the doctors. I wouldn't take the meds. I just did my own thing my own way. I would wake up not knowing where I was in alleys, parks, streets, and total, with total strangers. If they had the drugs, I would go. I'd do whatever they said. Then four years later, I had full-blown AIDS. I still tried to keep on doing the wrong things, even with doctors and nurses that cared about me. I would agree, and I meant to follow directions, but I never did. Then one day in the hospital in Jessup, Georgia, my Aunt Janice came. You tell how she got there, Mama. And she had her Bible. She talked to me three hours about what God said and showed me in the Bible that he really said it. I knew I'd been bad, so bad. I had to stop being like I was, stop being who I was, what I was. If I ever wanted the light, it had to be now. I was sorry, so sorry for all that I ever did, and Jesus forgave me. Finally, I reached the light, and it felt so good, so good. I just wanted to sing peace, peace, wonderful peace. I haven't been the same since. My mama will tell you, I changed that day. God was always there. He was just waiting on me to come to him, not for a high, but for life. He was better high than any drug you'll ever take. And the next day, you'll know where you are and where you've been, and you'll feel good, real good. He said, if you have a hole in your heart, I tell you right now, you need Jesus. He's the light that will fill the hole, and you will be at peace. You can rest, knowing he's going to take you home to be with him. I'm going home today. But you'll come when God's ready. Till then, he won't ever leave you. He'll take care of you. And this is my story. Don't let it yours end like mine. And he was talking to his friends that were going to be at the funeral. I could have done so much for God if I had just stayed with him. He still forgave me and gave me the chance to tell my story. So maybe other kids won't end up in a bed with a horrible sin disease, eaten up by sores, skin, and bone. Not cute anymore, just old, terrible looking. Sin destroys your body, but thank God he saved my soul.